Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, we got some folks in here now. Uh, Jovan Buha, thanks for setting this up. Uh, Going to talk kind of Lakers offseason and all things, whether it's coaching search, whether it's um, whether it's uh, potential players, whether it's the chatter around trading LeBron and or Anthony Davis, something, Jovan, that I don't think either one of us are seeing, uh, see coming. But um, Jovan, do you have any kind of early thoughts on these first few weeks of kind of the offseason, whether it's sort of reflecting on the year that was or kind of where the Lakers are going before we dig in and, and get to questions from listeners here? Yeah, I would say my early impression of the coaching search has been positive and I, I wasn't sure what direction they were going to go, but I, I think interviewing Darvin Ham and Adrian Griffin, you know, th- those are the types of names I think they should be going after if they can't get, a Nick Nurse or a Quinn Snyder or I think one of those elite tacticians. Uh, so for me, the, the fact that those are two names that have already been uh, linked to their, their coaching search like that, I think it's a step in the right direction. And, um, you know, we, we know traditionally the Lakers have not really hired out-of-the-box candidates. That They have been more of the, the flashier names or, or people with proven track records, but for them to be looking at potentially a younger assistant coach who has been in a winning environment, you know, Adrian Griffin, obviously in Toronto with, with Nick Nurse and Darvin Ham in Milwaukee with Mike Boonholzer. Like those are championship cultures, championship coaching staffs. And I think if, if they've learned anything from those coaches, obviously, um, you know, I think that would be great for the Lakers. So I, I think, you know, we've talked about some of the previous candidates before and, and um, I have my reservations about a few of them, but to, to hear those two names, I think is encouraging. Yeah. Uh, we have a question in the chat, Yovan, uh, just kind of along those lines from Shaheen asking if, uh, you know, what we think of, of Phil Handy and, you know, Phil Handy has been an assistant with the Lakers for the last three seasons, um, you know, obviously has tons of, has tons of success as, a, as, a, as an assistant coach, uh, long history with LeBron James um, has interviewed for head coaching jobs in the past, I believe with Washington a year ago, not a name I've heard though, really in terms of like, you know, internally the Lakers looking at, um, at Phil Handy and whether that's because, you know, you can overall reset on the coaching staff or because he doesn't bring exactly what they're looking for. Hard to say, but I mean, you know, obviously revered as a skills coach in the NBA and, and this job, um, requires a whole lot of, uh, you know, managerial skills, which I think, you know, Phil Handy actually does have some of in terms of having the respect to the players. Um, but, you know, you know, like you were talking about, Jovan, the tactical side of things is, is going to be so key, especially, you know, as the Lakers are going to be, you know, have to, probably having to get creative again, you know, because it's going to be difficult to build this roster top to bottom with, you know, a, with real, you know, comprehensive depth um depending on what they're able to do with russell Russell westbrook so um 
I don't know. I don't know if Phil Handy's a guy you're going to see, uh, uh, you know, kind of in the late stage of the, stages of this coaching search. Um, somebody else asked if Darvin Ham has an inside track on the job or is it wide open? It feels like he has an inside track only because he's the first name we heard. And I think that <laughs> that is, um, you know, something to be cautious of when thinking, oh, Darvin Ham is the front runner. There was, you know, Vegas odds that came out that had him as the leader. Because he's only for several days, he was the only name we had heard, you know, with any real concrete evidence. Um, I think Darvin Ham's a very good candidate. I think he could be the guy. I kind of don't think I still think that it's not going to be a first year head coach. And I think the Lakers are going through their process. Um, but I think you could make a compelling case for Darvin Ham. Um, so I understand why people are certainly latching onto that name. Yeah, and, and he's been a candidate for several other coaching jobs and, and been a runner-up a few times already. So I, I think it's he, he's due for a coaching job, whether it's with, with the Lakers or someone else. Yeah, and then, uh, I mean, gosh, I mean, like a lot of coaching questions and things I think we can kind of, you know, almost like pluck off quickly. Jovan, like uh, Aman asked if, you know, they could hire somebody like Scott Brooks to try to get the best out of Russ. I don't think you hire to cater to Russell Westbrook, even if you want to keep Russ next season, which is something I wrote about this week, because Russell Westbrook, even if you keep him and he has a decent year, he's still an expiring $47 million contract. He's not a long-term piece for the Lakers. And I don't know that you're hiring a coach to be your coach for 10 years, but you are looking beyond one season uh, with this LeBron and Anthony Davis pairing. So I think you hire a coach ideally who, you know, straddles those, those things. Like if you do bring Russ back, he's going to be somebody who can, and I, I say he, I mean, assuming that uh, it's not a, you know, Carol Lawson or, or Don Saley type, um, which would be, uh, you know, we haven't, we have not heard yet, but I, we're just in a, we're in an age where I don't just want to assume it's, it's going to be a he. Um, but I, I do think that you, you, the, bringing in somebody who is willing to work with Russell Westbrook is willing to like take on the challenge of Russell Westbrook. If the Lakers don't find a trade partner is important. I just wouldn't make the hire because of that. And then I would also just remind people who are participating here that you can ask questions uh, verbally. You can, you can talk to us just need to, um, I don't know, raise your hand or whatever it is in the portal, but you can ask us questions and that's generally a little more fun for us than, been just trying to keep up with the chat and answer your questions there. Yovan, here's another question though. Uh, um, do you do you see Darvin Ham as being sort of like uh, an Ime Udoka type for the Lakers? Could he have the same the same sort of impact on the Lakers that um, Ime Udoka has had on the Celtics, who you know at the moment look like they could be the favorites in the East? I mean, he's from the same coaching lineage, right? Like that they're both ultimately pop guys, though. Darvin is, is more of a Mike Boonholzer guy, but um, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like based on what I, I've heard, you know, through the years about him as a coaching candidate, and um, it, it does seem like he is, I think he's more of a defensive guy, and I know he's worked with their big sum, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that, that I mean, that, that's what everyone's looking for, and a, a couple years ago, it was Everyone was looking for Nick Nurse, and a couple of years before that, everyone was looking for Steve Kerr. Like it, it, it does kind of, it's cyclical of, of who's kind of the, the the hot coaching candidate that everyone's trying to model after. But um, I think, yeah, like I guess that that is your best case scenario with him. I, I think maybe it's unfair to have that high of expectations of like he's he's going to make them the two seed and and carry them to potentially Eastern Conference Finals. Finals, we'll, we'll see what happens with Boston. But uh, I do think. He, he could have that type of impact for sure, um, for, for, at least from a cultural standpoint. 
Yeah. And I just would say, like you mentioned it being cyclical. I mean, I remember, you know, whatever it was, seven, eight years ago when Adrian Griffin was one of the hotter names that was out there uh, in in terms of, you know, available assistant coaches. And he got really deep in the process with the Utah Jazz, who ended up hiring Quinn Snyder. But, you know, they were really impressed with Adrian Griffin. And then he just hasn't been somebody you've heard about um, as much for head coaching jobs. That doesn't mean that he's any less appealing as a candidate than he was, you know, when he was more visibly in the mix for jobs then. Um uh, let's get to questions here. Uh, Robert, I'm going to ping you in, Robert, and, and you can go ahead and, yeah, you can go ahead and ask your question. Howdy, y'all. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Wonderful. How are Wonderful. you? Wonderful. How are you? Good well. Doing okay. My question is, I've been seeing the news, and it looks like Darvin Ham right now, in addition to being a front runner for the Lakers job, is also a front runner for the Hornets. So I'm curious. This sounds like a crazy question to ask. You know, the Hornets have some exciting young players. They don't have the drama with Russell Westbrook. They don't have to deal with LeBron James. If he gets both offers, do you think there's a chance he could take Charlotte over the Lakers? Uh, It's a really good question uh, that, you know, I mean, only I mean, I obviously can't speak to what Darvin Ham would do in that situation. But it, it reminds me a little bit of what Monty Williams did three years ago when the um, when the Phoenix Suns kind of were trying to hire him at the same time the Lakers were trying to go through their process. And it really, it came down to a few things. I mean, Phoenix one was willing to offer, you know, a bigger contract. They offered five years and, um, and more money. And the Lakers were really stuck on, you know, a a three-year offer. Uh, I think there was an element of, you know, everything that the Lakers job comes with. And so I could absolutely foresee a scenario where, whether it's Darvin Ham or, you know, a, a different coach in this coaching search, in a head to head chooses, you know, a team that you could grow with and a team that you could kind of help build as opposed to sort of, you know, the, the instant oatmeal type situation where you're going to be on, you know, in a, in a, in a pressure cooker from the beginning. I mean, head to head, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously you'd rather win championships with the Lakers than, you know, go to Charlotte where there isn't a track record of success. But um, a lot of that's going to come down to, in my opinion, what the Lakers are willing to offer and and what they're willing to concede because we know that, you know, there has been significant, you know, uh, pushback and uh, certainly the perception of the involvement of Rob Palenka and Kurt Rambis in coaches meetings and film sessions um, is certainly unorthodox in the NBA. And if you can avoid some of those things, if you don't have to put up with some of those things and you can go to a situation where they're going to give you more job security, more money, and, you know, exciting young players who you can grow with. I mean, there's something to be said for going that direction instead. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's go on to uh, Shaheen. Go ahead. I'm sorry, and if I'm not saying your name correctly, please correct me and I'll, I'll do better next time. Hey, guys. Uh, actually, you said it perfectly. Most people kind of screwed up. So, right. <laughs> um, so, like, 
I don't want to delve too much into like Rambuses or anything like that, but like, you know, Jeannie's been trying to, uh, you know, evoke her dad, you know, Dr. Buss mm-hmm. constantly culture winning and all that. How much do you think she may start to look for voices outside of just like the Lakers family? And what do you think has kind of been like the greatest hindrance to that? Hmm. Um, so I, I just don't get the I don't get the impression that that's going to happen. Right. Like, you know, Jeannie has been criticized for being too re- reliant on like Magic Johnson. I wrote a story this year about Magic where, you know, he shared that, you know, Jeannie had kind of turned to him when the team was struggling in December to say, like, how nervous should I be? Um, so I, the fact that, like, you know, she gets that feedback, you know, obviously readers or, you know, fans, you know, express that on social media. She's very active on social media and she hears that they're like hey that doesn't land well with people but she keeps doing it because those are the people she trusts and for her you know in conversations i've had with her and you know kind of things i've heard third hand for her it just makes sense that you will involve the people you trust and lean on them and so it may seem unorthodox or it may seem like hey you know kurt rambis you know was not a successful head coach himself so why would he have a prominent voice in hiring a head coach but you know that's the i think this is the way that genie is going to operate you know until the bitter end, whatever that might be. All right, Joseph, what what do you have for us, Joseph? Afternoon, fellas. Uh, only question I really have is about Rob. Uh, I, I, with everything, all information being leaked out in the fashion it was when Magic was there, then Magic leaving and the leakage still happening, it, it kind of just leads me to one person as to who's leaking this information is there anything they're going to do about rob i know this is his last year with his contract but will there be an extension or are they going to try and grab somebody new and fresh Jovan, you want to take a stab at that yeah, yeah. uh I, I think that's a, that's a fair question but but similar to bill's answer for the the previous question i, I do think that there is a familiarity there with rob obviously I think to some extent he is viewed as an extension of Kobe, right? And, and you know, obviously their their relationship for for so long. Um, so I, I do think I think he's safe. You know, I, I've gone back and forth on this, but I, I do think he's safe for at least the next season. And you know, based on what I've heard, it, it could be you know even beyond that. So I, I do think. I mean, if if they have a repeat of this past season. I, I think it, it really is hard to justify keeping him on. And I think the optics and the backlash is just going to be so much that you might have to pivot and, and go in a different direction. But assuming the Lakers can at least go back to being a playoff team. And you, even if they don't want a championship, I, I think Rob is, is probably safe. Um, I, I do think, it, you know, if they operate in a different way, yeah, you, you maybe try and go, get a Sam Presti, go get a Maasai, go get the best, you know, basketball decision maker possible uh, that, that you could reasonably get. But I, I, again, I, you know, the Lakers still operate to some extent like a mom and pop organization. And, um, you know, it, it, people that have ties to the, the Lakers franchise throughout the years end up getting, um, you know, the, these jobs and then they like keeping it in house more. So I do think Rob is, is safe again for at least this next season but if they can't turn this around and, and they have a similar season i, I do think then um the, you know that there's a chance they move on i i would just you know it's kind of second what you're saying there it can't be another disaster 
And, you know, Jeannie Buss is watching closely. This is a really complicated situation um, that for Palinka to navigate, especially when, you know, there's chatter about, oh, should the Lakers trade AD or LeBron to, you know, start to sort of rebuild assets and, and get, you know, get some players back and, and not and get out of sort of this salary cap pickle that they're in. And, you know, everything I've been told is, you know, the, the Lakers are not entertaining those options. So you're, 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 Options for improving the team are really limited, and it really makes it harder for um, for Rob to, to maneuver, right? You can trade Russell Westbrook, but only in limited scenarios. And then you're going to be back in the same situation of operating on minimums and with a taxpayer mid-level exception. And the, mar- the, the market for players like that is even thinner than it was last year. So he's going to have to have a really good offseason, and then the Lakers are going to need to perform on the floor. Um, let's go to Shane, who has been very patiently waiting. Shane, go ahead. Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my question is about kind of the vision of the 2022-2023 team and how we're going to pursue that in offseason moves, assuming, of course, that mm-hmm. LeBron and AD are back. So obviously we know that we won the title in 2020 with kind of a you know defensive-oriented size, LeBron being the point guard sort of model, and then have since moved on to thinking, well, LeBron needs more help creating offense, so that's why we got... Schroeder, Westbrook, etc. So what do you think? Do you think the team is essentially going to try and recreate 2020 or keep with this new model of looking for other ball handlers and shooters? And what do you think is the right decision in that regard? Well, I don't think they can replicate 2020. And I, I think that is one of the, the unfortunate consequences of the Russell Westbrook trade was that part of I think part of what made both the 2020 team and even the 2021 team, which I, I think still kind of gets underrated for, you know, starting 21 and six being second in the West before AD going down and, and being up two one on the suns. Like, um, you know, I, I do think that model worked. And part of that model was not only having two top 10 guys in LeBron and AD, but having the right complementary pieces and having basically an entire rotation that was at least, you know, average to slightly above average defensively. And I just, I don't see a scenario in which they can fill out the roster. You know, they're not finding an Alex Caruso or a KCP or a Kyle Kuzma. They might be able to add one of those guys with the taxpayer mid-level exception, uh, you know, like a guy on that level, but, but you're, you're not, filling out the roster with, with multiple, you know, energy three and D guys. So I think that that's the Lakers biggest challenge. That's, that's why for, for me, if they do end up flipping Russell Westbrook, I, I'm trying to get probably multiple guys r- rather than focusing on, on maybe like that, that. That's why, you know, the, the Charlotte deal or the Indiana deal, those to me make more sense than like the Houston deal where you're just getting John wall and who knows, maybe John wall is a better fit. You know, he accepts his role. He fits better with LeBron and AD, but I would rather get multiple pieces back and kind of fill out your rotation that way than than do like a one for one. So, uh, I, or, I guess or to, even even, and I would just I would just say, or even like the scenario where you're trading him into another team's cap space 
because yeah. you're not creating so much flexibility that you can suddenly be a real player in free agency. You know, you're maybe changing the nature of your, your mid-level exception. Maybe you can create, you know, a little bit of cap space with some, with some additional moves, but in terms of actually building out like that second tier of talent, Yovan, because I completely agree with you, it's getting, you know, it's getting multiple players back for, for a rest deal. Sorry to cut you off. No, yeah, I, and I guess in, in terms of build, I, I do suspect they will probably try to mimic the, the 2020 build kind of again, but I, I just think it, it's probably going to be a, a worse version of that where it's just, it's hard to get, you know, again, they're, they're going to have Russ, they're going to have THT and Kendrick Nunn, who I think are both distressed assets right now. Uh, you know, Kendrick Nunn is coming off missing the entire season. THT, I think, was, was obviously disappointing. And then you have your two first round picks and you have a taxpayer mid-level exception. So, I mean, you can flip some of those guys, you can include the picks, you could use your taxpayer mid-level exception, but I don't see how that gets you Danny Green and KCP and Kyle Kuzma and Alex Caruso. Like, I just don't see them getting that level of talent overall back. So um, they could add a couple pieces, you know, maybe two or three, but I think it is going to be a challenge to kind of find the depth. And I think that's what you saw this season, right? Where, they just ultimately didn't have the depth that they needed. Uh, and one or two guys goes down and they're kind of screwed. So um, I think they will try to kind of mimic the 2020 model, but I think it's going to be difficult. All right. Thank you, Shane. Do we have other questions uh, that people would like to ask verbally? Um, why don't LeBron and AD get more shit for the disastrous Westbrook trade? Well, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, you've got a GM and it's his responsibility and it's his job. And I said this on Christmas when it was pretty clear that the Westbrook trade had been a disaster. It is also his job to tell LeBron and AD no, um, if, if they are coming to him with something they want to see done. You know, it wasn't um, a secret in the NBA that that was not a not a good choice. I mean, it was widely seen as a um, as, as, as a huge gamble at best for the Lakers. And I think that, you know, it was the, I think it was the responsibility of your vice president of basketball operations to say, we don't need to try to hit that home run. You know, we need, we need a, you know, we need a, a sharp single, you know, we need a double. Um, so I think that, you know, LeBron can say, Hey, get, go get us, you know, uh, go get us, uh, you know, whoever get us Alonzo morning or something. And it's like, Rob's not, shouldn't go do that. He should see, he should see the, the fuller picture. So um, to me, it, you know, it, there's culpability all around. And I think that we have all said that, but ultimately it, it does reflect on management and, and not just on management, but the way those decisions get made. Yovan, um, here's a good one from, uh, from oh, like Jimmy. Actually, I want to ask Jimmy, Jimmy asked if there's any chance Russ opts out. Um, <laughs> I don't think so, Jimmy. I mean, I, I mean, like, I remember when, when Steve Nash was at the end of his contract and was injured, I remember, you know, there was the moment where he was, he did a documentary and he was kind of figuring out what his financial options were. And he was like, well, I want, I want the damn money. Russell Westbrook, I would assume wants the damn money. Like the only scenario where I could see him opting out was if he could go get, you know, a multi-year deal, you know, at a big number somewhere else. And I don't see any team in the NBA with cap space saying, yeah, we're going to give $25 million a year to Russell Westbrook for the next four years. Um, I don't I mean, think uh, particularly enjoyed his leg. Do you have, do you have, do you have, do you have an alternative scenario? Well, no, no, no. I, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to say this and, and I, I don't, I don't think this is a hot take, but, but maybe it is. Um, I don't know if Russell was, if Russell Westbrook opt out, uh, opts out, I don't know if he'll make 47 million the rest of his NBA career. 
I completely agree with you. I don't think it's a hot take at all. <laughs> okay. Like, I mean, yeah. Like, like, the, I, yeah. Like, like that like, money's gone. <laughs> in theory, like, yeah, like, okay. Like it's Chris Paul did this, right? Didn't Chris Paul opt out of a big, a big final year of his contract. And then he re-signed in Phoenix for like four more yeah. years. That situation isn't going to be available to Russell Westbrook. I don't see that at all. So to me, it's for him, it's do I earn, you know, $47 million now, or do I finish my career on a string of like minimums? or, you know, mid-level deals, because it is, it is not going to be a robust market for, for Russell Westbrook. So I do not see him opting out, even if he might be ready for this Lakers adventure to end. Um, and there was a question about Malik Monk too, by the way, that I wanted to, I wanted to touch on. Um, does he get, will he get the, will he get the Crusoe treatment, get lowballed and decide to leave? You know, it's not really a matter of lowballing him. You know, they can only give him, um, they can only give him what, 125% raise of his, of his of his contract or the mid-level so it's yeah. like they don't have the mechanisms to re-sign malik monk that they had with alex caruso they actually had control of the caruso situation and chose to let him leave you know if another team offers malik monk 10 million dollars it's not going to be the result of the lakers saying you know and eh, we're gonna let you go they can't do it they don't have any you know under the cba they don't have any mechanisms to to pay him that much so unless malik's coming back for whatever it is, $6 million with, with that taxpayer mid, I mean, I don't see him coming back. It just seems really unlikely to me. Yeah, I think the the one exception, which you mentioned a little bit earlier, would be if they were able to dump Russ onto a team with cap space and then create a little cap space themselves, and then they use yeah. that to resign Malik, and then they use their taxpayer mid-level, like, that, you know, that would be kind of one way, but but that seems very unlikely. Also, I mean, Malik was very good, but he was also, I mean, he certainly outperformed his contract, but I mean, he, you know, also was, you know, he was inconsistent, you know, is still kind of a one-way player and mm-hmm. does, the and has the skill that tends to be the most, you know, the easiest to find in the NBA, which is, which is scoring. So, I mean, I think, you know, Malik had a great year. He deserves to get, get paid and get some security, but I don't know if the Lakers, you know, if the Lakers had, $12 million in cap space. I don't necessarily know that Malik Monk is the guy they should be using it on anyway. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Uh, Jeremy's got a question. Let's go to Jeremy. I don't think this was your reporting, but I saw something today about supposedly Frank Vogel, a significant reason he was let go was because of the way he used uh, Russell Westbrook. Uh, just, just wondering if you guys, uh, I don't know that a lot of Laker fans would agree with that. Uh, just wonder if you guys uh, had any insight into that, whether you think uh, that, first of all, whether that's correct, and then whether that was a reason uh, that, you know, that, that he was let go. So what I would say to that is, you know, we that was that was from a story Sam Amick wrote today that I would recommend everyone check out. There was a ton of Laker stuff in there. And, you know, Sam and I have kind of reported on the Frank Vogel stuff together since – January when he was almost fired after that loss to Denver. And what I would say is, you know, there was significant, uh, a significant belief within, you know, the Lakers front office, you know, within, you know, the, you know, everyone who has influence there that there would, there were other ways to unlock more from Russ that you could get more from him somehow, whatever those are. I mean, I'm not the basketball mind Frank Vogel is, let alone, you know, somebody like Phil Jackson, maybe who had, who had an opinion. But to me, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Frank understood what it would take for Russ to, uh, to 
fit or for it to fit as well as it could fit. And he had a very unwilling, uh, you know, player in Russell Westbrook. So, you know, Russ didn't want to do, uh, just did not want to consistently do the things that they saw, you know, being um, the key to him actually fitting with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And so, you know, he'd do it in spurts or you'd see it here and there, but it wasn't, you know, something that he was really fully buying in on. So I don't really blame Frank Vogel for that, but, you know, based on, you know, what Sam reported and conversations I've had, I do think there are still people within the front office that who believe that there was a way to get more out of out of Russ and to make that fit more seamless. And so I think that that was a belief within certain circles, uh, whether it was true, whether, whether it's fun, fundamentally true or not. And I think the test of that, by the way, would be, well, if you think that he that there was something else that could have been done, then bring him back. Hire the coach that you think will will do it the right way. If Frank did it the wrong way you know, bring him back because it makes way more business sense for the Lakers to keep Russell Westbrook through next season and let that $47 million come off the books than to, you know, trade him for bad contracts. If you can't catch the cream of the crop in the West anyway, if you're not getting players back who are going to elevate you into that top three in the West, it's better to just let Russ's contract expire. Um, So if you have a belief that he can you know, do pl- that somebody else, a different coach can do better with Russ than Frank Vogel did last year, then prove it and keep him around because it makes more sense for the Lakers to um, to get the benefit of that cap relief in another year. Uh, Greg has a question. Let's go to Greg. Thanks for the time. Um, I didn't see Russ playing a lot of defense last year. So <laughs> do, you, do you think in his mind, he's a former MVP, he does he feel like his role was to facilitate, to push tempo, and so defense was not on his radar? Is is that what he was? <laughs> I love this question. Um, I, I'll take it. I, I mean, I, I don't know what he thinks. I, I wrote after his exit interview that I, I think his lack of self-awareness was really apparent all season, but especially apparent in his exit interview when he basically pointed the finger at everybody else but himself. And even when he pointed it at himself, uh, he used the the arbitrary measure of, well, I didn't average a triple double this season. So that's why it wasn't a success, which if, if that's how he's judging his performance, he's completely missing the point. Um, and you know, he, 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 I mean, he just straight up lied too about, oh, well, I, I adapted my game and I did this and I sacrificed this and I did everything I could. And, and to your point, he, he did not play defense. I actually think if we're evaluating Russell Westbrook and the, the most detrimental parts of his game, I actually think his defense was worse than anything. I think his defense was worse than his turnovers. I think his defense was worse than his shot selection, worse than, him missing, you know, so many layups and, and his finishing numbers being bad. Like I thought his defense was the most destructive thing of, of just um, he was very disinterested. And, and I, I think if you go back and, and watch some of the, like pick like the, 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 you know, the monster run that a team goes on against the Lakers, usually Russell Westbrook is on the floor playing bad defense during those stretches. So um, uh, I mean, to, but it's not a surprise either though. If you, if you go back, I mean, same thing in Washington, same thing in, in Houston. Like, it's kind of crazy how much things flip for Russ. Where this was a guy who's the, the, the Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year, and and came in, at, you know, when he was drafted as, as someone we were looking at as an elite defender with all those physical tools, and it's just progressively gotten worse throughout his career. And and I think you could look, you could say the same about LeBron to some extent. He's had some bad defensive stretches. 
his production offensively is obviously unparalleled and and really you know elite you know top five top ten production in the league so you can kind of get away with that if you're a LeBron but for us to both not be efficient offensively and to be awful defensively it's just it's double whammy so um, I mean, I, I'm sure if you asked him, he would say he was good defensively and, you know, w- w- kind of would have a delusional sense of, of his performance on that end. But I, I think anyone who watched w- would say otherwise. Uh, some good questions in the chat, and I don't have the answers to them. But I think that these are the questions that, you know, some the, some of these questions that, um, you know, you guys are asking are the same things that, you know, I think we have of the Lakers as well. You know, first of all, why are they so dramatic? But, um, you know, like, you know, Mick M asked, is the front office going to allow their new head coach to select his own staff or will they insist on picking their own coaches on the staff? That speaks to what I was saying earlier about what the Lakers are willing to concede in the coaching coaching search. Because, you know, if you if you if Darvin Ham has two choices and in Charlotte, he can he can hire his own staff. And with the Lakers, you know, he has to have um you know, the Lakers have an idea of who they want on his staff and it's basically fills up every job. Um, you know, that's the sort of thing that could push a coach elsewhere. And you keep going down the list until you find the coach who's willing to play by your rules, which is what they did three years ago. They ended up with Frank Vogel, a guy who had been fired in Orlando, who, you know, didn't really have any leverage to say, no, we're going to do it my way. You know, he was willing to take the three-year contact track. He was kind of willing to go go along with some sort of, you know, uncomfortable conditions. So do the Lakers actually get their choice um, at the top of the coaching search or do they have to sort of, you know, go down a few layers to find somebody who's going to play by their rules? And do they have the self-awareness to say, hey, this time we're going to put more control in the coach's hands um, than we did than we have in the past? It's a really great, great question that I don't know the answer to. Um, Russ's shot selection, THT struggled. Will they look to deal him? I think it depends on, you know, what you're getting and how I mean. I, I would say that based on the THT that we saw last year, you know, if you can find a player, I mean, 10, what's he making? $11 million is, you know, it's not, you know, get you an all-star back, but does it get you a player who can be more immediately impactful and, and fits a role better for the Lakers than what THT did? I mean, you have to, you have to explore it, you know, and it's the same thing as at the trade deadline, the Kendrick Nunn contract, the THT contract, you know, maybe some filler, you know that gets you, you know, up to you know eighteen million dollars in 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 salary. Maybe you can use that to to bring back an impact player. Although I would say Kendrick Nunn's a little bit of a dark horse for the roster next year. Um, let's get a couple of these questions in. Uh, Joseph S has a question. So I, I guess my question is is why is it kind of hard to see as far as fixing that front office is kind of what will alleviate all the rest of the issues. In the sense of hiring a good front office will entice players and and coaches to come to the organization. I guess what I'm saying is, when is when is I guess how can the Lakers kind of just take back the organization in the sense of just blowing everything up and just building everything back up? Because you got teams like Memphis, teams like Phoenix that are coming out, and these are well-ran organizations, so they're going to be around for a while. Shouldn't it just be a situation where we just blow it up and restart everything? Uh, We had our trash seasons that got us Lonzo and B.I. and all these guys that are starting to flourish now. I think the model needs to change instead of going for superstars, 
to start growing some some homegrown talent. Yeah, I understand that, Joseph. I mean, it's just it's just hard to just it, it's hard. You have um, you have a, a productive LeBron James. He is he's older. He's obviously had health issues, but we know when he's healthy, he still is you know one of the most you know impactful difference making players in the NBA. And not only that, like you've made big you know concessions to to get him and to have him in your organization. And so you can't just trade LeBron. Like I know that was something that was making the rounds yesterday. You can, like I mean you you can by the rules just say hey we're trading we're trading LeBron to Indiana, you know, have a nice time. Uh but if you do that, there is a real concern about what that would then do to the um, to the image of the organization when it comes to the next superstar, because the Lakers are always thinking, who's the next superstar who is coming? And that can be really frustrating, especially in those years you mentioned when nobody was coming. But that remains, you know, kind of the business model. And you're right until, you know, somebody comes in and blows that up and says, no, we're not going to sit back and be at the mercy of, you know, each year's free agent class to be competitive. You know, we're going to build a winner, you know, kind of on our own. But they've stripped themselves of the tools to do that, you know, by trading draft picks. So um, I think right now this is still kind of the best course. But, I mean, there are a lot of people who agree with you. The idea that, you know, the Lakers just kind of kind of lean on the fact that they're the Lakers as opposed to, you know, kind of not looking at it through the lens of, you know, it's Los Angeles. You know, we're the Lakers. We have the trophies and just doing the work. I think um, some of that some of that uh, ability to grow organically gets lost. Um, Hari, go ahead. You have a question. Uh, just, uh, I, I guess everyone able to hear me. We can hear you. Uh, just my question is, um, I know someone like uh, oh, uh, Mr. Oram said, uh, I mean, we run out of the, I mean, actually just not, tra- not trading the uh, is a good idea because it's just because he's on an expiring contract and let him run out the contract and then can we, by any chance, can we sign uh, Victor Oladipo because he's on a, he's not going to be on a contract next next season. But if I, I could be wrong, but uh, if someone like him on a 10 million contract for a shorter term, maybe I mean I don't know I know definitely we don't have money, but if if he can create you and if we can get get someone like him and then you know go from there. That's my question. Jovan, I want you to weigh in on this because I do think there is something to be said. I, I don't know if the Lakers can afford Victor Oladipo. I mean, he was on a minimum in Miami. Um, I don't know if he's going to be on a minimum again next year. It seems possible, but, you know, because I don't think he's taken the step, obviously, in terms of the way he's viewed um, that he's going to be getting, you know, you know, the 15 whatever million dollars. But, you know, I wonder about other guys kind of along those lines. You know, I mean, um, TJ Warren is a guy in Indiana who, you know, was in line probably for a big payday this summer before he had, you know, catastrophic injury. You know, is that somebody who would come to LA and, and rehab his image for a year and, you know, take a chance to, you know, to be successful alongside LeBron. Oladipo is a good name, you know, if the Lakers could, could get there financially. Um, what do you think of what, but like specifically to the Oladipo question, like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's someone that probably could be had for that taxpayer mid-level exception. Um, he, he has played well, uh, especially the last couple games w- with Miami and starting to look a little bit more like himself. Um, I, I think with with him, and, and I, I recently wrote this, if I'm the Lakers, I, I almost have to use my taxpayer mid-level exception on 
the best three and D wing I can possibly get. That's like six, seven to six, nine. Uh, maybe you view Oladipo as an exception from a talent perspective that, Hey, you know, we, we think he could grow into being the third guy or, or whatever. If we end up flipping Russ and, and we're confident in his fit around LeBron and AD. And, and we think he can uh, kind of be that ball handler score guy who can, uh, you know, maybe lead some second unit, you know, maybe start a shooting guard and then lead some second unit lineups. Uh, so, so maybe he's an exception, but for me, if that's my only tool to really upgrade the roster, I have to get someone that is going to be starting at the three or the four next to LeBron and AD, because you can find point guards and ball handling for cheap. You can find centers for cheap. It's really hard to find, you know, positions two through four, without spending some money. So uh, I think that's where, like, the Lakers could easily bring back DJ Augustine as a backup point guard, I think, on a vet minimum if they really want to. But you're not finding, uh, you know, an Otto Porter, a Robert Covington, a P.J. Tucker. Like, those guys are all going to cost money. And I think if that's your one tool, you you have to use it correctly. And we we saw last year, I mean, (laughs) how much it cost them not using that correctly, right? They spent it on Kendrick Nunn and he missed the entire season. And of course, you you can't predict if someone's going to miss the entire season. But even a theoretical Kendrick Nunn, while he would have helped, he would not have ailed what this roster needed, which was obviously perimeter size and and, and defense. So I think that's their number one need going into next season. and, And that's where I would be looking to spend that money. Uh, let's go ahead to Eric, who has a question. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, Thanks, Eric. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Since Jeannie's been in charge, I mean, her first major move was firing her brother, a la Khaleesi, from Game of Thrones. And now hearing these reports that, you know, you got Phil Jackson, uh, the Rambi, I mean, there, don't you think they're taking this Game of Thrones thing a little too <laughs> literally? I mean, how professional is that? Seriously, like these guys are running it like a TV show, the Lakers. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Lynn, listen, I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff and thinking about who's in charge, who's calling the shots. And I do think the Lakers would benefit from, you know, some clarity about who's calling the shots so that when you hear a report like Phil Jackson is involved, you know, it doesn't cause, you know, heads to spin like like it does. Um, And you know, this is a team with a really small front office, and then you have ownership with a really small circle of trust. Um, you know, I guess the one thing I'd say is nobody cared how much Linda Rambis and Kurt Rambis were involved when the Lakers won the championship in 2020 and when the team was good. A lot of this is born out of, you know, frustration with the performance of the team. And the performance of the team two years ago, I mean a year ago, um, I really do pin – a lot of that on injuries. I think there were major chemistry issues. That team was fatigued coming off the bubble, but I think that team could have won um, multiple playoff series, if not gone all the way, considering what we know about how that, the 2021 playoffs played out, if not for even Anthony Davis getting hurt in the first round. Um, So it does kind of direct the spotlight at the, the front office and kind of the palace intrigue when the team isn't, isn't, finding success, but it does speak to the issues you're talking about that, you know, they haven't been able to have sustained success and that we kind of keep coming back to this. Like who is calling the shots? Why is it so hard to have some clarity on, on why things are run the way they're run? Um, You know, it's, 
it, you know, it's an, it is, it has been a staple of, um, of, of Jeannie's tenure. Um, and, you know, maybe in some ways goes back to, you know, the way her dad ran things. I mean, the Lakers had the same, you know, people, you know, running, running things for decades, but those teams were successful. And that was, um, you know, and it was, you know, nobody minded when those, when the team's winning. Um, just saw a Jerry West question here. Is Jerry West an outsider because the bus family was jealous of the credit he received for Lakers success? Um, I mean, I think it's more complicated than that. I, do, I mean, I think, you know, the Lakers immediately won two more championships after Jerry West left at the, at the start of the century. I think that relationship has become strained for a, a number of reasons, including the, you know, the fact that, you know, Phil Jackson and, and Jerry West sort of had a famously strained relationship after he came in and, uh, you know, some of the treatment, the perceived treatment by Jerry from the Lakers side to Jerry West, um, in the decades since he obviously has left a bad taste. Uh, any other questions uh, in the, in the audience before we start thinking about wrapping this up uh, while we wait for one of those, I mean, I think Yovan answered this, but Yovan, did you want to hit like the best and most realistic three D three and D player for the taxpayer mid-level? I mean, I know you said Huffington uh, Porter um, uh, Tucker. Are there other, are there other names or is there one of those guys that you think is most realistic at that price point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Robert Covington would be probably the the dream guy, although I think he might just be out of their price point. Um, I look at, I, I just pulled up my list that I, I recently wrote about. Uh, Bruce Brown Jr., who is a, a little bit, you know, he's 6'4", so he doesn't necessarily fit the, the size-wise, but he is someone who as we, we, we saw in Brooklyn's smaller lineups, he, he can play bigger than his size. And uh, I think he, he kind of has this weird position where like, you know, defensively he's kind of like a, a guard wing, but offensively he operates like a big. Um, so I, I, I like him uh, again, Robert Covington, Nicholas Batum, PJ Tucker is probably unrealistic because he has a $7.3 million player option next year. So he'd have to technically accept less money. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. Again, uh, TJ Warren is someone who people have kind of forgotten about, but uh, you know, kind of had a breakout season a, a couple of years ago with Indiana before missing the last couple of years with injuries. So he's someone that I think could potentially be had for cheaper, given he's I think he's played like eight games over the past two seasons. So uh, th- those are some names, and I mean, it, it gets dire quickly, right? And, and even some of these names, like th- they're not necessarily moving the needle a lot, but if you could get a Covington, a Batum, an Otto Porter, you know, those three names in particular, I think, and you could, I think you could offer them, you know, like next year, Kawhi Leonard's coming back, right? And, and Paul George should be healthy. So if I'm looking at poaching from the Clippers, I'm like, hey, you know, Robert Covington, you're, you know, maybe going to have a, you, know, you already had a bench role. Maybe you're going to have a bit role next season on, on the Clippers. Come to the Lakers and we'll start you and play you 32 minutes a night. Like, you know, we could really use you. So uh, I think, you know, Covington to me is, is someone who, who might be out of their price range, but I look at maybe Nicholas Batum and, and Otto Porter as two realistic options. By the way, realistic options a year ago when they uh, signed for minimums with, with their respective teams, right? Am I wrong? Otto Porter signed for a minimum with, with Golden State, right? Yeah, and the, the Lakers had and interest in him. Right, yeah, and, and Batum, same same deal. So, 
Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of this is, I mean, you know, when we talk about, you know, the Lakers and the guys they signed last year, a lot of this is not just in their control. I mean, we know they wanted Patty Mills at the mid-level and Patty decided to go to Brooklyn instead. And, you know, again, like to your point about none, I'm not sure that that is necessarily what shifts the Lakers from lottery team to championship contender, but we also watched Patty torch the Lakers for 40, uh, earlier this year. So, um, you know, you do, you do kind of replay some of those things in your head. Uh, Jovan, any other questions you wanted to get to before we uh, sign off here and and get back to get back to the off season? Uh, I I think I think that's it. Um, I guess any I, I you know I, I think everyone should check out Bill's article on Russell Westbrook and I, I think the the counter argument to to trading him or or at least being patient with, with trading mm-hmm. him. Um, and I'm curious, I guess, is there is there a deal that you, you think would be a no-brainer and would be worth trading him for? Or do you think the Lakers should remain patient and maybe see if they can work this out? I mean, I think, you know, Indiana makes some sense. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day who was, you know, saying, hey, if you could do, if you could get Miles Turner instead of Buddy Heald, if you get Brogdon and Miles Turner um, from Indiana, you absolutely do that deal, even if it costs you both of the of the first round picks. Uh, because those two guys, you know, Turner's a great fit with, with AD in the front court. Brogdon is a great fit with LeBron. Obviously, you're assuming some health risk, especially with, uh, with Brogdon. But, you know, those two players um, would would be significant enough upgrades that you would pull the trigger. And, you know, I mean, listen, I mean, I might even, especially considering kind of his, the way he's viewed right now, I wouldn't totally sleep on a D'Angelo Russell deal either. You know, I think Minnesota could have some incentive to get off that Russell deal. And maybe this is something that would be, maybe that's a deal that would uh, reveal itself later next season. You know, if you get into next season and then the Timberwolves decide to come off of D'Angelo and, and just take the expiring but um, there could be something there as well. Um, you know, I, you know, D'Angelo is a complicated individual and player, but I, I think that he could also still, uh, um, he could help too. So those are two that kind of come to mind. I don't love the Charlotte deals. You know, the, the Hayward health stuff scares me. And then Rogier, you know, that contract for kind of what his skill set is just doesn't really appeal to me. All right. Well, in yeah, the absence of, of additional questions or, or, uh, or uh, thoughts. I think we will sign off, Yovan. Thanks to everyone for participating. You know, obviously a really robust participation today, which we certainly appreciate. Uh, at noon on a on a Thursday, you know, we're gonna be around all off season, kind of talking through a lot of these same issues. But you know, in the meantime, you know, check out what we're writing for the Athletic. You can engage with us on Twitter, um, and you know, Yovan's got some good stuff going on TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I I have a TikTok, which feels like a huge. Uh, a huge, uh, a huge step for me professionally. So um, one of these days, Jovan will teach me how to use it. But all right, Jovan, thank you very much. We will talk to everybody a little bit uh, later. Eric wants to get my take on Frank's next steps. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, Eric, but maybe, uh, maybe we'll know more the next time we, we talk to you guys. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys.